If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Ecclesiastes. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're a guest of ours, we're, we're in this book. We'll be in it through September, verse by verse, as we explore Solomon's thoughts, uh, the preacher as he expresses and <laughs> honestly gives thought to some of the great mysteries. Um, we are coming perhaps uh, out of the, uh, we're coming out of perhaps the most familiar passage, one of the most familiar passages in our Bibles. If you were here last week, Rob, an amazing job taking us through the, the time passage there in chapter three, verses one through nine, uh, that there is a time for every event under the heaven. What we're going to do today is, is we're going to continue that theme. You're going to see a time thing show up in our text today. Uh, it's, it's Solomon going more, uh, looking more deeply <clears throat> at God's sovereign rule over the time and events of life. And he is going to present us with what I think could be uh, one of life's greatest conundrums. Does everybody know what a conundrum is? Just for review, you know, a conundrum's a mystery. <clears throat> it's a puzzle. It's, it's, okay, there's this and there's this, but they're, they're opposite. They can't go together. I can't resolve these two things. And uh, it's, it's what a lot of our college graduates are facing today, and you faced when you graduated college, high school. You went for your first job, you interviewed for the job, and they go, oh my gosh, this, we would love to have you, but we need someone with... Okay, if you'll hire me, I'll get the, but you're not going to hire me because I don't have. You see, it's like, wait, I got to have it. You don't get, it's a, it's a conundrum. And, and Solomon is going to present us with, I think, one of life's greatest conundrums. He's going to go deeper and help us see not just what it is, but how we live, how we live with it. Uh, quite frankly, he gets to a pretty dark place. It, it, it's, uh, he's very specific and we want to be very careful how we interpret what he has to say there. But what, what the text as a whole, we understand this is God's truth. And truth, rightly understood, lived, believed, is that which sets us free. So we want to listen very carefully to what Solomon says. Okay, we're going to cover three sections. It's verses 12 to 15 where he speaks of the fear of God. Then we're going to take 16 to 22. He's going to speak of the absence of justice. And 4, 1 to 3, he will speak of the abundance of oppression. So for the outline thinkers and takers, we'll start with the fear of God. Move quickly there. We're going to go to the absence of justice. This is the weightiness of this text. And it gets even harder and darker, the abundance of oppression. Let's follow along in your Bibles. I'll read these. We'll begin in verse 12. <clears throat> he begins, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's life. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks and sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. 12 and 13 are simply the, the second of the carpe diem passages I talked about two weeks ago, where he begins with this phrase, there's nothing better than, and, and it's that we, we, you know, we, the Bible scholars have kind of called it the carpe diem because it's like, look, there's nothing better. Grab this and and it's not grab it as in the movie said, grab it and squeeze all the life out of it you can. It's, it's take the moments, rather than grabbing them, what was a statement I used, I quoted a guy, we, we, we take the moments and we recognize life is gift, not gain. That, that summarizes all, life is gift. It's, 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 you receive the gift, you don't grab it and, and take it. 
We go on in verse 14, he says the second time, I know. So he starts, I know this. Then he says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there's nothing to take from it. For God is so worked that men should fear him. Verse 15, this is a toughie. That which is has been already and that which will be has already been. Here's the hard part. For God seeks what has passed. Now the first part of that we get is his reflection upon there's nothing new under the sun. May I say this? Because I'm not gonna spend time on it. No one knows for sure how to translate or interpret that last phrase, for God seeks what has passed. We're just not sure. It doesn't bear upon our understanding of the text as a whole or its application. Let me stop right there. We're talking about this heading, the fear of God. Um, Verse 16 or verse 14 is one of the clearest passages on the sovereignty of God. And we kind of throw that word out and assume everybody gets it. I want to make sure we're on the same page. When we speak of God's sovereignty, if I boiled it down and you wanted the most simple way to say it, it would just simply be this. Sovereignty equals God is in control. That, that, that's the layman's, that's the one I can get. God's in control. And verse 14 tells us that it's, it's holistic. God is in control of everything. All that God does lasts forever and his sovereignty that which he does in sovereignty, it, it lasts forever. He says it's complete. There's nothing you can add to it. It doesn't need to be added again. And there's nothing you can remove from it. So, so God and his sovereignty and his works and all creation, listen, they are perfect and holy and right and just in all that he does. Now, when we step back from that, um, we go with everything, and, and, and I would say, yes, everything. And if we're gonna understand what he says right there in its context, which we always want to do, understand that he's reflecting back, quite frankly, on the very text we just covered last week. And I wanna remind you of this. Rob said this, okay? When we read that passage, you know, there's a time for this, there's a time for that. It's not saying there's a time for you to choose birth and death. There's a time for you uh, to choose morning or day. There's a time for you to choose when to search. and when, it, it, See, it's not about you and me. What he's saying in this passage is there's a time in which God chooses birth, death. God himself chooses war and peace. See, this is our sovereign God and we Receive these things as gift from him. I'll talk about the tension of that in a few moments. My guess is that since you were here, if you were here last Sunday, since then, that some of these things have invaded your world, whether it's mourning or dancing, throwing stones, gathering stones, embracing, shunning, embracing, birth, death, healing, loss. It's like all this stuff mixes up in our worlds. It's difficult to separate them. And the reason why is, this is life in a fallen planet, in a fallen body. Lisa and I took a trip this week. We were out Thursday and Friday in Little Rock, Arkansas. We were there to go to a celebration of um, Dennis and Barbara Rainey, who are really you know, heroes of ours and, and, and worked for them for, for many years, 15 years, and founder and president of Family Life, this ministry of crew that some of you have been to Family Life marriage conferences or listen to Family Life today. So there's honoring them as they retire after 40 years of ministry, and they've had a tremendous influence in, in Lisa's life and my life and our life as a couple. But, you know, truth be told, there's a part of, there's a part of me, okay, that didn't want to go. 
That's not because I don't want to honor uh, Dennis and Barbara. Um, it's because while my years in Little Rock, Arkansas, were some of the most formative, amazing, fun, awesome years, they're also some of the most painful, difficult, and hard years. And there's just that part of me that wants to keep all the awesome and fun. <laughs> I don't want to go back to that part of the difficult, the hard, the pain. And it's just a reminder to me, quite frankly, you all, you know, we don't go often, I think, to this, and, but we're afraid to get there sometimes, I think. But, you know, Romans 8, 28 says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. That, that verse says what it says, means what it means, and that means that, that just my own not wanting to go back to the pain and the ugliness of, of some of the things I experience in different places is really, it's, it's me not wanting to go back to God's sovereignty in my life, that God uses all of that, the good the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful. See, this is all under God's sovereign rule. Now, it's an interesting statement here. If you'll see in verse uh, 14 how it ends, God has so worked that men should, what's the next two words? What's the words? Fear him. How about that? So, so you take sovereignty, God's rule and reign. God shows us, I'm in control, and he does that to to create in us a fear of God. What's that mean? Well, the fear of God is replete throughout our scripture. It's, uh, it's not easily definable in the sense that it's got such nuances, okay? Luther gives us some help here, you know, hundreds of years ago, giving thought to what is the fear of God, and, and this is so crucial and important to us. He defined uh, the fear of God. He talked about two types of fear. He talked about servile fear and filial fear, servile and filial. Servile fear, Luther described as the fear of a man in prison who's got a jailkeeper who beats him, berates him, harms him, evil. He just lives in trembling fear of, you see, this, this guard or this guardkeeper. That's servile fear. That's not biblical fear at all. Biblical fear is filial fear, filial Latin for family. It's family fear. Okay, what's family fear? Uh, Luther would say it's, you know, it's that it's the fear in a child who, who knows that they are loved unconditionally by their mother and father. They intuitively know that their mother and father want the best for them, that their very security in life are depend on their mother and father. And so they have a certain fear that they don't want to displease mom and dad. It's, it, it, it's not fear as cowering fear. It's that good fear that I don't want to, I don't want to displease my mom and dad. That's a healthy fear. Fear. I'm going to add, I'm going to take two phrases with that and give you what I, what I think gives us a pretty solid grip on the fear of God, a biblical fear of God. It's a phrase, first of all, that I heard when I was in college. And, you know, I forget tons, but I've never, thank goodness, you know, forgotten this one so far. But the fear of God is the wholesome dread of displeasing God. That's kind of that filial, isn't it? The wholesome dread. You know, think of those two words, wholesome and dread. They don't go together. Well, certainly they can. It's, it's good and right and wholesome dread. Not the, not, not, not the ugly dread, but the healthy dread. I don't want to, my God who loved me, who sent his son for me, I don't want to disappoint my God. That's the fear of God. And then I'm going to connect it to this. It's not just the wholesome dread of displeasing God, but it is the holy awe. 
holy awe of knowing God as he was revealed in Scripture. The holy awe of knowing God as revealed in Scripture. Because we always gotta go back to the Scripture. And if you, if you can read your whole Bible, I'm talking old and new, and not have moments, I think, in a sense to where you, you go, I can't believe God did that. Like, or God confuses you, or he's just beyond your grasp. And I don't know, we're reading it carefully enough. There's moments, we, were about, we, ought, we ought to stand back and go, I, I don't know if I can take a God like that. <laughs> In the same way we can stand at the edge of the ocean or on the mountaintop and go, oh my, there's a sense to which God is a holy other and he created and he made. And so it's that holy awe of God as he was revealed in the Bible and it is a wholesome dread. Okay, Solomon is not satisfied with the shallow answers and so now he's gonna go into two, uh, he's gonna go into two things that really kind of take us down, so to speak. I wanna hit these quickly and then I wanna illustrate it. Um, He's going to present to us this tension, okay? This is the conundrum I'm talking about, and it pretty much unravels him. And the truth is, when we can't handle this tension, we can't hold it, it unravels us. Two things. The first one is an absence of justice. There's an absence of justice. That's 16 to 22. Furthermore, I've seen under the sun that in the place of justice, there's wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, there's wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts, it's the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath and there's no advantage for man over beast for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust and all return to the dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of beast descends downward to earth? Who knows? He's asking the question. I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? There's, there's, this, um, there's this appalling absence of justice. Now, here's what the tension is, okay? The, the Solomon has said, you know, life is gift from God. God is sovereign and in control. Eat, drink, and say your labor's good and enjoy the contentment of life with God. Well, try that. And then open your eyes and look at the wickedness that is in the world. He actually goes to the very place where justice should be preeminent. He's saying in the place of, i.e., in the court of law, there should be justice. In the court of law, there should be righteousness. And he takes the roof off the courtroom and he looks in and he goes, there's neither. In fact, there's wickedness there. You see, it's just extreme and it just blows him out. It upsets him as it should upset us. Now, when I say this, you know, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus because I want to be the first to say this. Thank God we live in a country with a legal system that works, Okay? That, that in our legal system, you know, what's wrong is made right, what's evil is punished, rightly so, what's righteous is upheld, and what's wicked is put down. Thank goodness it works. But it also doesn't work. We know that. And the lawyers in the room know that in the sense of, you know, there are, there are courts in which it doesn't work. And what's, what's true gets suppressed. And... The guilty go free and the 
innocent. Or, you know, it just, it doesn't work. It's human. It's fallen too. If you ever get caught up in the legal machinery of the legal system, and many of us will and have, you know it, it can be devastatingly cruel. Even as it, you know what I'm saying? It, it both works and it doesn't work. There's an absence of justice. And he makes the observation that, wow, this, the way that our courts work, the way that justice is not upheld, it, I, he made the observation that I think it, it's there to show men, it's there actually, and it happens to show men that they're animals. <laughs> they're beasts. Now, when we, ever, when we take a passage of Scripture, we never interpret it without a context. And so when he says they're, they're just animals, there's no advantage to being a man or an animal. You know, we got to take that verse and we got to go, wow, it's, 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 in a, it's in a book by which the very beginning of the book, and it affirms throughout, that man is created in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them. And there is a severe and distinction between humanity and animals, okay? Uh, animals are never made in the image of God. So he's not saying there's no distinction. What he's saying is, when I look at the world, what I notice is, wow, they both die. That's where he's going. And when they die, they both dissolve into dust and go to the dirt. You see that? That's the point he's making. And then he asks the question, and who knows whether the ruach, it's a Hebrew word for the breath of God, the animating principle of life, when it leaves the animal and it leaves the human being, does, who, I mean, who knows? Does, does the, the, the ruach just go away and it's just dust, just the animal's dust and dust, and does, does a man's go upward? You know, and he, and he asked the question. Now, we need not ask the question because uh, we, we know, and, and, and Solomon does, but he's putting those eyes on the world under, apart from God, that man made in the image of God has a soul that lives forever. And death, I've said this before, and we'll say it a hundred times more, is the separation of the soul from the body. That's what death is. Death is when your soul leaves your body. And then you're, you're, you're dead, but your soul lives forever. Now, I know there's a few of you that have this question because he mentions, you know, animals die, they go to the dust. I mean, who knows where they go? And so you're going, does my pet go to heaven? You know, we, we always get that, we always have that little question, does, does my pet go to heaven? Um, and my, my answer is, I don't know, okay? Now, when my kids were young, I knew, yeah, of course they go then. <laughs> but now that they're older, I tell them I don't know. I do know this, and you and I know this. Okay, nowhere in the Bible does it say an animal has a soul. It does not. Animals don't have souls. But that doesn't mean they're not gonna be in heaven. Why can I say that? Why can I say that biblically? I can say that I don't know, but it doesn't mean they're not gonna be in heaven. Give me a reason biblically I can say that. Anybody? Yeah, creation. What else did someone say? Yeah, angel. Yeah, on a white horse. That's metaphorical per se. I, I, you know, I, I think maybe, but even if it's literal. But go back to creation, the garden. There's animals. <laughs> the lion will lay down with the lamb in the future. You know, same. So, hey, they'll, they'll be animals. Now, my pet, of course, will be there because I've led him to Christ. But I don't know about yours. <laughs> You know, I'm working on our cat. We haven't got there yet. We have a cat and a dog. Oh my gosh. Well, there is a, there's an, a, an absence of justice. He goes, he goes even further. Okay, so there's, there's this wickedness where justice should be. Then watch where he goes. And y'all, this is morbid. He says, then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw 
the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. Then this, so I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who's never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that's done under the sun. That is deep. He goes so far as to go, this is so awful. And I don't even want to quote, I don't even want to quote statistics on oppression. You guys understand oppression in this world is sickening. It's appalling. Solomon looked deep at it and he just said, I, you know, when I think about it, I think it'd be better not to have ever been. Now, do not take those verses and go, well, then... I should never be. That is not what he's saying here. And I'm going to say that, especially in light of even news this week of two high-profile suicides. That is never the answer to the, 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 the loss or the struggles that we are in. As someone who has struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts, let me say to you, it's, it's not the answer ever, ever. And he's not saying it here, don't take this text in that way. God's given us life to live. But he, you know, when, he, when he just looks at it deeply apart from God, he goes to such a dark place, it's, it's, it's rather troubling. D.A. Garrett says this, and I think this captures what Solomon is expressing. Oppression and injustice fill the heart with bitterness and make it impossible for anyone to live according to the practice recommended in verse 11. In other words, see, when Solomon goes here, he goes, in verse 11 it says, eat, drink, and be merry in the sense. It says, eat, drink, and receive life as a gift from God. Well, it's... I can't eat, drink, and receive life as a gift when I look at all the wrong in the world, when I look at the absence of justice in the world, when I look at the abundance of oppression in the world. I can't, I can't, you tell me to do this, but then there's this, and I can't do it, you see. That's the, that's the tension, that's the conundrum, I might say it that way, that we feel uh, in the text at this point. I'm gonna summarize the text like this. Fear God for every tick of the clock and every breath on earth is under his sovereign control. Even though for now, there's an absence of justice and abundance of oppression. Most important words in that statement are this, even though for now. You gotta, we gotta hold that, that, that holds the sentence. That's the root, of, that's the core truth, even though for now. How does a person eat, drink, and know their labor's good when, when some things in this world, and by the way, some things in the world, but can I make it very personal? Some things in your world, in your life, are so whacked out, wrong, painful. How do I live? See, that's the tension that we carry. All right. Now, we're going to end in a moment, but I've got a little bit more to go. I want to dismiss those who are going to be baptized because we're going to end with a baptism, which will be amazing and so appropriate in our text. So those being baptized, if you would make your way back, go ahead. I want to dismiss them and not make them feel awkward. Everybody, everybody kind of stare at them right now for a little bit <laughs> as they go. We get to watch them leave. Uh, they're going to come back and they'll come out in a moment. But I'm answering this question, how does a person live according to that God says and life is a gift. How do you live with that gift when everything's so wrong and there's so much wrong? Well, I'm a visual learner, so I'm gonna give you a visual, uh, I'm gonna give you a visual uh, explanation of that, if I may, really simple. I think, you know, if you're not a visual learner, well, I've been talking for 30 minutes, so that there's your part. Now the visual <laughs> learners get their part. Um, but how do we do that? Well, we gotta think biblically. And I wanna tell you something, at Fellowship, we believe the whole counsel of God 
is our hope and life, and it's not just, it's not just knowing it in our heads, it's living it in life, which is that's what we're going to see in a moment. But you've got to understand the whole, whole story of Scripture, and you've got to understand God's Word, we've got to know it. And I want you to think with me about this. You've got to go all the way back to creation. We've got to take the whole story of God's Word. And you know, in creation, in the Garden of Eden, mankind was created for I think it's a good picture, wholeness, wholeness. There's no conflict in here. There's no disunity between mankind and the animal kingdom or there's no separation of man from God. It's, we're made whole and complete in, in perfect harmony. I mean, this is, this is the reality of perfect harmony in all creation and we're made to experience it forever. This is the Garden of Eden. The problem occurred wherein Adam and Eve made a choice and they decided they would choose to live on their own. And this is what we call sin. You know, they, they, they said, God, we're not going to listen to what you said and we're going to try this on our own. And they ate of the fruit. And when they did, their choice, okay, is our choice. They fully, perfectly represented humanity when they made that choice. And so rather than the wholeness of the garden and the beauty of the garden, you see, they made a choice and from chapter two all the way through the end of the Bible, the beauty of that turns into uh, what I'm gonna call a, a polarity loop. Now this is, it's interesting, someone pointed out to me, it's still an infinity loop, right? But we often call this a polarity loop and this is where I think it helps us because whereas we were, there was whole and no conflict there, what has happened from that moment on is that in your heart and in my heart, okay, there are always two things true that don't belong together. That's what a polarity loop is. Like there's a polarity between this. Like this is, you know, on a battery, the polarity, this is negative. This is positive. I mean, they couldn't be any more different. They, need, they can't even stay together. Oh yeah, we have to keep them together. And when the Bible here speaks of there's a time for this and there's a time for that, you see what, what Solomon is saying is there is in the heart of everyone, yes, God has planted eternity. So eternity never leaves us. That sense of longing for eternity, for, for time to never end, it never leaves us. It's always with you. The problem is we also have the, we also have the reality that people die. Wait, wait, I, I, I want eternity forever, but I'm gonna die. I can't, how do I hold these two? Well, this is the life of faith. You hold the polarity by faith. See, when I'm holding this, I've got a little pressure on it because in a sense, faith is living with this tension. And so when you read that beautiful poem, there's a time for birth and there's a time for death. Man, there's a time to dance and there's a time to mourn. There's a time to search and there's a time to just give up. And and, and these are like opposites, and yet they both remain true. And I go, I, this is killing me. I can't hold this tension, and that's, that's a good thing. There is no one on the planet that lives life without this sense of there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to life than this. There's this longing for eternity when time will never end. See, that we, you can't escape it. It's there. Now, what we do is... Most people, including me, before we come to faith in Christ, we go, well, maybe I can fill that with this. Maybe I can fill that gap with success. Maybe I, could, maybe I can take care of that. If I can just make that bigger, maybe I can take it. It doesn't work that way. 
For the more you go after that which is not eternal to satisfy this eternal part, the less you're satisfied. Until God in his mercy opens our eyes, as we're going to see he's done in these three that will be baptized in a moment. And you've seen the beauty of the gospel that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. Death could not hold him. And all who put their faith in Christ, you see, death will not hold us. See, all of us are going to die. But if you put your faith in Christ, then death's not the end. Death's actually the beginning. You step into glory, eternity with God face to face. Uh, Death's been in the news, I said earlier this week, with um, some of the things we've, you know, some of the uh, more celebrity deaths, but... Uh, may I say this, there's been death within our, fam- within our church family. Many of you may know Fred and Anna Van Dusen. Uh, they were on vacation with their kids in Florida last week. Toward the end of the week on Friday, Fred went in to, with some, just a pain in his leg and some breathing difficulties and, and never came out of the hospital. Fred was 80 years old. He, he was a greeter, a godly, godly man. Anna was telling me about, you know, Fred said, man, if I'm going to meet Jesus one day, I want to get to know him and read his Bible voraciously, spoke of Jesus all the time. Fred... Uh, Fred died, you see, but because he knew Christ, when he died, uh, he, he entered life forever. So Lloyd, okay, tell us how we live with this tension. You're just saying grin and bear it? No, no, you, 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 that'll, that'll hurt you, try and grin and bear it. What, you, what we do is, from this place in life, um, we pay attention to that inkling of eternity and when we do, God begins to open our eyes and we begin to understand that God, you know, created us in a garden that was whole and perfect with him. We now live apart from him, separated with these tensions. But the Bible says there's coming a day, see in our future, when it's all going to be the, it's all going to be whole and complete and true and no conflict in in connection with humanity, creation is going to quit groaning and be all it's intended to be. Our relationship with God, whole and perfect, never to end. You understand? The, the, the garden that was, you see, God is redeemed, and it'll be the new heaven and the new earth, the garden that will be. And in a way that I don't fully understand, the original garden, awesome. The new heavens and the new earth, more awesome. I mean, beyond glorious, more glorious than if humanity had never fallen. I can't hold that in my head, but God in his sovereignty has so decreed that his son would come, live, die, and be raised again, and we see God's glory manifested in ways we wouldn't had man never fallen. And so this is, this is, this is that garden that we can't go back to. It's the garden in front of us for all who put their faith in Christ. Now, When you put your faith in Christ, don't think for a moment that the tensions and the polarities of life are solved. They're not. They're not. They don't go away. It's not suddenly like, woo! No, that's that's waiting for heaven. Uh, Life on this planet will hold these tensions. But when you know Christ, you understand, you live, yes, with life and death, but we have the hope that doesn't disappoint What's the hope? That's our future. And therefore we anchor ourselves in a future, right? Back here in time. And we of all people on the planet can tell others about the hope that doesn't disappoint. 
even now. Why did Jesus say this is eternal life? He said that they may know you, Father, and they may know know me. In other words, he defined eternal life as knowing God. You do understand when you place your faith in Christ, in time, you know God. So your eternal life is now. See, if you know Christ, eternal life's now. Because when death comes and your soul separates your body, y'all, there's no time in between that. You're face to face with Jesus in death. And that's how we live with these tensions. If you've never trusted Christ, would, would you consider putting your faith in him today? You can, you can tell God that you believe Jesus died in your place. He was buried and rose again, and you believe he did that for you. That is your step of application. But there are some of us in the room that our, our step of application may be asking God's spirit to enable us to live with those tensions well, because they're real. And I'm going to tell you, you can't hold the tension apart from the power of the Spirit. So it may be for you, God, by your Spirit, help me hold that tension. And then some, I'll offer this, it may be that you need a moment of confession for the tensions in your life. And this is totally okay because it's David, but the tensions in your life have prompted you to rail against God. He can take it, but maybe your arm's getting tired. And you're ready to put your arm down and say, God, you're in control, not me. Would you bow your head and consider those three? And I'll let you speak to God for a moment. Then I'll pray over you. Father, we are grateful for your word today. We are grateful for your spirit who lives in us and opens our eyes to the truth. We're thank you, thankful for Jesus who died in our place and rose again. And we pray we might be a people who don't just know your word in our head, but we live your word. By your spirit, we choose obedience and trust. Of all the people on the planet, Lord, we know everyone lives with the tensions of faith. But we, having trusted Christ, can offer them freedom. We can show them that death was arrested in Christ and they can know that truth. So may we speak boldly, live wisely, and glorify you. In these ways, in Christ's name, amen, and God bless.